So, Berto, some listeners asked us to watch a documentary called Roll Red Roll, which I believe is on Netflix, and it is about essentially rape culture in American high schools and among football teams in America. And I thought we would talk about the documentary, but mostly what I thought we would do would be to analyze rape culture on the, in this episode, because the documentary can be summarized pretty quickly. But I thought you and I would explore rape culture. What do you say, Berto? Let's do it. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and a professor. My name is Umberto Castaneda, and I confection edible lifesavers. So trigger warning, 100% if you are sensitive to, to graphic depictions, descriptions, then avoid because there's no way to talk about this topic without at least getting into some detail and the documentary. We're not going to be glorifying it. We're not going to be uh, diving in too deep. That's not the sort of podcast that, that this is, but there will be some descriptions. So we've done other episodes before on this topic. Do you remember, I'm not maybe not uh, explicitly discussing rape culture, but victim blaming uh, mm -hmm. incidents like this. Do you remember the other episodes we've done, Berto? I don't know. I mean, well, I know we've done it. But... When when I tell you, you'll reckon that you'll remember them. Mm -hmm. We did, and this is just off the top of my head that I wrote down in my notes. We did an episode about Brock Turner. The, oh yes, the famous right. case of college where at college, I believe, drunken. And uh, oh, I don't know, you God, can yes. you can Google that. Oh. And privilege. He was, you know, rich white male, and they let him off easy. Mm -hmm. And then we also talked with Christy Forrester about the TV show on Netflix, Unbelievable, which was a, a recreation of the rape that happened in Linwood, Washington, near Seattle, and the police officers, uh, you know, bumbling the yep. the investigation. We went into a little bit during the eighth grade movie discussion where we talked about date rape in the back of the car. Do you remember? Yeah. We're talking I do. about that. Uh, we did episodes, or I've done we episodes. Actually, we had a, let's see, eighth grade. That was, we had a big debate on that one. Yes. Yeah. You and I caused a lot of <laughs> drama. Yeah. And, and this, you know, these, these discussions go back years. You and I have been discussing this and uh, occasionally for years. Rape. We have an episode on rape, rape self-blame. We did an episode on woman-to-woman -woman sexual assault. We did episodes on helping sexual abuse survivors and so on. So I think this is a continuation of that conversation. But what I thought was was that we never really fully investigated rape culture because I, I think it's widely misunderstood. When you see people talk about it online, they'll say, you know, like one thing I saw was, you know, stop calling it rape culture. That because that makes it sound like it's nice. It's not a culture. It's a crime. Oh, I see. You know what I mean? They, they're yeah. confusing the phrase rape culture for some kind of elevation or justification for the right. crime, which is the opposite of what the term is actually used for. And then you have well, people... Well, it's probably because, like, you know, they might be like, well, you know... We have to respect different cultures. So if you call it a culture, now we have to respect it or something. Exactly. But I, I, but I get that that doesn't, that's sort of a doesn't silly apply. Way to right. Yeah. It, it, you could call the Nazis having an anti-Semitic culture. 
you wouldn't say that that justifies it or glorifies it or, you know, respects it in any way. Um, Although then, I got in trouble not too long ago for not respecting the Aztec culture of human sacrifice. <laughs> oh, really? And I'm likely to get in trouble again for saying, for bringing it back up. Oh, God. We'll save that for the end. Um, but the other side will say there's no such thing as rape culture. It's just a liberal invention, a feminist invention. It doesn't really happen. Rape is extremely rare. Only criminals do it. And we're going to go into full detail on all this stuff. But first, let's talk about the documentary. I'm just going to summarize what happens and chime in with any, you know, memories you have of this documentary. Well, first off, Berto, what did you, what was the overall vibe or feeling that you had while watching the documentary? Oh, it was really hard to watch. Um, I I wasn't triggered in the same way as I'm triggered sometimes. Like, you know, when I, the whole Michael Jackson thing, remember we talked about how, yeah. I was in tears. I was like physically affected. And I think it's because it, it finding it Neverland, back, finding Neverland, finding Neverland. Yeah. So there's some things that are, that are t- that, sorry, no pun that touch me in ways that are worse and, and deeper because then I relate to me having been abused. Okay. This one didn't have that because the context is quite different, but it was just the idea of the dehumanization of this, that they were engaging in. And that one particular individual seemed to do it serially. And it was just, I, I was horrified. I'm like, well, A, this one, the main kid seems like a psychopath or in the making or something. I don't know. And then, but then the whole grotesqueness. And of course, granted, I, at the same time, I was remembering how grotesque I was and me and my friends in talking about girls and women. Nothing ever like that. But but even, you know, just, just the thought of uh, when we were growing up, and I think this is probably still the case, unfortunately, there is this sense of, hey, like, you know, among the boys, uh, or let's say among your group, just to not make it so specific, among your group, it's safe to talk about anything in any way, because, you know, you're just talking with your group. And I do remember peer pressure in a sense to not, not be uncool and like challenge things too much when someone is talking. And it, it wasn't, no one ever said that. No one said, hey, you shouldn't, it's uncool if you challenge. It was just sort of like this understood thing as you're growing up that, hey, if you're in the confidence of your friends, you can really say horrible things and it doesn't really matter. And you definitely shouldn't call attention to it. And as I got a little older, I remember having to like force myself, like in high school, I specifically would force myself to say something, but only in certain cases. Then by the time I got to college, I was like a little more, a little more like, yeah, this doesn't seem right. But it took me, well, I, I don't know, maybe till I was in my thirties to get to a point where I would actually say, that's not Okay. Um, and again, not, not even, not even the same level of things. Cause these, I mean, this conversation that they were having, it, it was so appalling. So I had a hard time watching it. It wasn't that it was unbelievable. It was just hard to watch. I felt so bad for so many people involved in that thing. Um, the girl, the family, some of the other people that, that thought it was sort of okay or that it was her fault. Uh, some of the, the kids that were on the periphery, but that were also being horrible. Uh, anyways, so yeah, it was it was hard. <laughs> yeah, you bring up uh, it, one of the factors that we'll get into later, but I might as well talk about it now. The way I would frame it is that it's in-group de- definition in that when you were, and tell me if this applies, Brito, you're with your friends and there's a level of insecurity that pervades the group and everyone wants to feel 
like they're a member of the group. And there's various different ways of defining like we are an in-group. And the other and the way you define an in-group often is by contrasting your group with others. You know, we're the boys, they're the girls. We're the jocks, they're the losers. We're the pot smokers, they're the squares or you know, we're the the white people, they're the black people, that kind of thing. And one of the and then you there's this constant signaling of this is what our group is, this is what defines us and a very crude way to do that is to hate other groups, right? We are the Nazis, they are the Jews kind of a thing. And one of the methods that boys can use to insecurely try to draw a boundary around their group and help define it and help test whether or not people are on board with it is to hate women or talk badly about them or to objectify them, participate in the cultural norm, which is rape culture, and constantly signal to each other that this is what defines us. And if you oppose us, you are not one of us. So join us. Does that make sense, Bruno? Yeah, absolutely. And so it would go as far in some cases. Okay, so in, when I was growing up in Colombia, the I guess I got there till ninth grade. So it was a little before that those high school years. But already there was definitely a lot of talk among us um, where we were starting to talk about sexuality and things like that. Um, there's tons of objectification, of course. But once I got to the high school level up here in the States, it was definitely a whole other level. Um, there was, it was absolutely an objectified conversation <laughs> from beginning to end. Uh, and, and this, you know, this wasn't like we were doing it to be mean or, uh, to your point, maybe there was some sort of like group belonging in, in talking like that. But at the same time, we didn't know any different. That's just what you do. Those are, that's what happens in the movies we watched. Um, and no one ever said, no one ever had a conversation with me, not my dad, not my uncles. No one ever had a conversation with me about, hey, this is how you should think about things. You know, you, you shouldn't think about people of the opposite gender or whoever you're attracted to. You shouldn't think of them in this way. You should think of them in this way because they are humans and this is what you do. No. So for us, we would definitely talk about it like, um, you know, these are objects that, uh, how do we get these objects to pleasure us? And granted, these were all very ad hoc, random conversations. It, it, often they weren't even about specific people, although often they were about specific people. But I look back at it and I'm like, oh man. And this, since I, since I know for a fact, it wasn't just me and my friends. It was everyone, everyone. Right. Then it's like, well, yeah. <laughs> So the documentary is about this event in Steubenville, Ohio, that happened in 2012. And this passed out girl was gang raped, or what they call, the boys called trained. You know, the, the, she was trained, meaning like as if she were a train. Yeah, you know, it's funny. When they first mentioned that phrase or the word, I was thinking that they meant like they were going to train her as in teach her how to have sex or something. Um, it, it was halfway through the documentary where the horror of what they actually were saying dawned on me like, oh, no, they're running a train. Oh, God. Right. And uh, in this documentary, there are lots of examples of rape culture occurring, like the way the boys and the girls talked about it, as you were referring to it, uh, the way it occurred, meaning that many boys, it seemed as though maybe even a dozen, maybe more boys 
participated and or knew it was happening while it was happening or right after it happened. So this wasn't just one bad apple. This was several several boys. Uh, and, you know, I mean, tell me, Berta, like, was your impression... So from the sound of it, there were five boys who gang raped her. Three of the boys were not indicted because they there was no proof that they had participated. But there were a lot of other boys who knew it was about to happen, knew it was happening, knew about it after the fact, and maybe even girls as well. Was that your impression? Yeah, well, or at least that they knew that there, there was trouble brewing. Some girls that... Part of the problem is it didn't seem like the gal who was abused, it didn't seem like she had her own people there. Um, I also, you know, I was thinking, man, how, well, what was going on that she got to that point of being so intoxicated, totally out of her element. Uh, and, and yeah, and she didn't really have any, any advocates there that were true advocates for her. They, the one gal was like, yeah, you probably shouldn't do that, but I guess I don't know you, so what am I going to do? And then there were other boys that were probably intimidated by those. Those guys were like the main guys in the football team and stuff like that. And, uh, the, the, you know, uh, one or a couple of them were like jacked, and, you know, very buff looking and blah, blah, blah. So it's quite likely some of the other boys were like, even if they thought, oh, this isn't right, they were probably intimidated by that. And then there were the ones that were totally enjoying being bystanders and probably wanted to be involved, but uh, then they're the ones that probably did do something, but they they struck an immunity deal and right. they they left it at a, like I saw what happened. Oh uh, man, right, bad news. So local media didn't cover it. There was a fear of losing the star football players, seemingly so. People looked the other way. The coach looked the other way. The school administration looked the other way. A blogger came, you know, in sort of the early days of blogging in 2012, publicized uh, this. So she looked into the social media posts that were public. She started looking at their Facebook pages and their Instagram and their Twitter, and she took a bunch of screenshots, and it was all right there in the open. There was evidence that uh, that they had, in fact, done it right out there in the open and uh did you get the the uh sense that this blogger was a better investigator than the police well at least more interested <laughs> yeah i think if the police had been interested enough they would have easily found that information right yeah it just know. it just makes you wonder like do the police understand how to use social media in investigation i mean it's just it's a public they're public statements and they're available. All you got to do is, you know, have a little bit of know-how. Do you get the sense that police use this tool? Who knows? I mean, uh, let, let's hope that at this point, at least in different communities, they've wised, wised up to that. Yeah. But it certainly seemed that uh, there were things, and not only her, but then Anonymous posts this other video. It's like, wait, how did they get that video? <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> from the sound of it, they hacked into someone's... Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, okay, that's account. fine. <laughs> um, but, but she still, was just going online finding public information. Yeah. So she publicizes the event. It becomes a media circus. Anonymous gets involved. The uh, hacker community got involved, and they actually, I think, hacked into a boy's 
one of the other boys' phone and found a 12-minute video of another boy who didn't participate directly in the gang rape laughing and laughing. You just have to watch. It's it's just – he describes the whole thing. He says this happened and they did this and and – he, and then, so Anonymous posted it all over the internet, right? And and then it became this media sensation in 2012. Do you remember this happening? I don't. Yeah. I, oh, don't I, I, it's, I remember the name Steubenville. Yeah, I guess like, I, I do too. That. Yeah, I remember like protests, but... But I don't remember more than that. Yeah, I and don't the, think I was vi- tapped into like internet culture at that time. I was mm. I was pretty busy with academic stuff. And that video you mentioned... Um, that was one of the things that I was sitting there going, because, you know, the, the kid is laughing, saying, right. oh, she's got to be dead, right. blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking, what if you actually believe that, or like, how, I don't know, it was just so hard for me to understand. Because like, look, in high school, I did stupid stuff, and I said things that were totally not not keeping with today's standards, right? But I I mean, I had empathy for people, like, and... and yeah. Most of the people I knew had empathy for people. Yeah, yeah, but me too. I when I had a similar experience like this when I was a kid, and I mean not this severe. Oh well, I guess to make my point even stronger is it was much lower. Actually, uh, it was well, I won't go into detail, but it was a much uh, on the scale of crime. It was much lower of a mm-hmm. sexual crime. And I didn't think it was funny at all. You know, this is well before I was a therapist, well before I even had heard of the term rape culture. And when this guy told me what had happened, I just I and he thought I would think it was cool. And I just I remember thinking, like, I remember saying to him and then I and then I talked to my friends afterwards, like that guy just described a rape to us. (laughs) Like, does does everyone understands that? Right. And they're like, yeah, that was pretty messed up. Like, so. I think, and I don't remember, like you, ever being told. So I think there was something particular about this community or something. I mean, obviously, it's not a bad apple. This happens all over America. But I think there's variance is the point. Rape culture is pervasive through our culture, but the degree at which a group of boys will go, I think, kind of uh, varies because... Anyway, but there uh, was there was no point that I remember as a teenager, let alone as an adult, where I thought or anyone that I was talking to thought, well, I mean, if if the person's passed out, you can do stuff. Right. Like, that's never that was never in the book. Yeah. Like, yeah. And in fact, not to mention, I, and I, 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 I remember I remember those of those discussions actually occurring. And we all would dis- I remember I won't go into detail on the discussions, but I remember that subject came up and all of us were were like, no, that's not okay. Like, that's ridiculous. What's wrong with you? Like, how pathetic do you have to be? I think it was more of the angle of pathetic rather than it's a crime, which actually doesn't make my point very well. But at the very (laughs) least, we understood understood it was not okay. Like, you don't do that kind of thing. You're pointing to something that actually is part of the, the badness of the culture, which is that a lot of it had to do with like, no, you're supposed to earn your women the right way, right? Which is is, is problematic in its own right. But certainly, right. it was not okay. And and I remember, uh, I've mentioned this in the podcast before, that I have never understood getting turned on right. by someone that is not into it. Right. 
that's so hard to fathom. And yeah. I understand sometimes it's about power, thing, but I just don't get it. Like for me, I'm like, well, that turns me off instantly. Like the moment, and maybe that's part of my psychology, the moment I feel someone is not into me, I actually like flip this bit mentally, maybe because my mom left me or something, and I flip this bit and I'm like, oh, I won. Nothing to do with this. Yeah, well, I, I think that would, Let alone if the person's a, passed out. Yeah, like, I think that's a normal uh, feeling, but for some reason, and we'll get into the reasons, there are people who don't think that way. So it becomes a media circus. This video comes out. Investigators actually look into it. They collect hundreds of text messages from dozens of students. Two students, and uh, they're also high school football players, were convicted and three other adults were in, indicted on obstruction, obstructing the investigation, you know, like the coach and the school administration. So one of the boys was uh, sentenced to one year, and another boy was sentenced to two years. The other boys didn't get any uh, sentence, or they weren't they weren't convicted, and the adults weren't convicted, or or they were convicted, but they had to do community service or something. So was that enough time for all those involved, Berto? Oh, not for all of them, no. Well, because the one the one main kid, it sounded like this had happened before at least once. Right. He, and, got, he got two years in juvenile, because they're kids. These guys were 16 yeah. at the time of the crime. And I, I mean, I don't know what kind of monitoring and rehab happens there, but it's, the my, my thinking is like, but that behavior seems cyclical and like that that person to show such little empathy to do that to multiple women. This wasn't like one super drunk night where he made the most terrible mistake of his life. No, it's two, two, at least two separate. And, and massively premeditated too. I mean, totally. the, the planning that they'd have to participate totally. in, at least for that evening was uh, clear, you know? And did you see the manipulation texts that they were showing that he was yeah. sending to her saying like, I can't believe this that you said, and you got to help me. You're going to help me, right? Like, can you imagine? You just did that to someone, and you're like, you're going to help me, right? Yeah. What are you going to... Actually, one of them was, what are you going to do for me or something? Like, what? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So I do want to get into this thing where that video of the boy and all the other boys, but mainly that one boy, laughing about the gang rape. He's yeah. He's like, oh, my God. They just, they so, they so raped her. She's, uh, she's, she's raped worse than the, that girl that Mike Tyson raped. Uh, she's raped her, like just over and over. It was his little comedy routine. Yeah. And the whole time I'm, I'm like, I can kind of, it's not that surprising to me that they think it's funny. I mean, I can't relate to it, of course, but. I've seen this kind of behavior before. Humor is a weird thing. Some say it's tragedy plus time or tragedy averted or something. Why, Birdo, would this boy be laughing and laughing? And why would he think others would laugh? Why are others presumably laughing along with him? Why? Let's let's really analyze. the. It's one thing to boast, like, ha, 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 we got her. But... He was laughing. Why was it funny to him? Well, for one thing, he was drunk himself. But uh, for I, another thing, when people get drunk, their sense of humor doesn't like, you know, alter its paradigm. 
not the things they find funny, but it's just the amount of laughing he was doing. It was like he was quite intoxicated. It's just that he didn't seem that intoxicated for a 16 year old boy. He was being pretty articulate. You know what I mean? Mm. He might've been a little tipsy, but he was definitely not slurring his words. You know, his, his brain seemed pretty sharp. Anyway, continue. I, I don't know because, okay. So I, I think back, there was this one kid in my class in Columbia who was the one of the biggest kids in the class and he was getting bullied really badly by kids that were two years higher than us and I, I never understood right so like we'd be walking to class and th- there was a set of like s- four or six of these kids from again two grades higher than us and by the way at that age we were in we were in ninth grade they're in 11th grade that's a big difference right and they're lining this little path and, and he needs to get through because he needs to get to class. And he's just, I can just see. And then he tries to walk through and they just start kicking him, just kicking him. And I'm sitting there watching that. And, you know, part of me wants to say something, but of course, I don't want to get kicked. And I'm sitting there going, why is this? And they're laughing. And I'm like, why is this funny? What, what is happening? I never understood it. I never got it. I never, there's some part of me that's missing that bit, uh, you know, I never liked bullfights. I never liked that bit of the, the thing that some portion of humanity wants to see people like hurt. Never got it. So I can't relate to that. What I can relate to is, for example, um, you know, I remember several times me and my friends laughing at someone that's highly intoxicated doing stupid things. But this wasn't that. This was, huh. That person is so intoxicated. And look, they're raping her. Like, wh- how, what point do you cross that bridge? I don't understand. I don't, yeah. I don't get it. Yeah. So I, I gave this some thought and I thought, well, what other kinds of teenage laughing would, would have? Because it's also the quality of the laughing. It wasn't like, oh, my God, Eddie Murphy is so funny. You know, it was a particular like what you said. Oh, my God, that person's so drunk. Look at them fall over. It was that kind of laughter. Another sort of laughter I thought it was similar to was, oh, my God, he totally uh, tagged the teacher's car, you know, like, you know, tagging like you put your name on. Uh, Oh, my God, that was so awesome. Did you see he he went up there and he tagged the teach the principal's car and he almost got caught. Oh, my God, that was so awesome. And he he tripped and then he jumped in the car. And it was so funny. It was that. okay. that laughter, I I guess I get. And it's sort of in that zone because it's a crime, right? You're doing something against someone else. And I was wondering if the laughter was we got away with something or he got away with, you know, he, he, that's the tragedy averted laughter is they did something so criminal and so horrible, but they got away with it uh, because they, they're not, you know, the cops weren't there or something, you know? Okay. So this is so fascinating because when I tell stories like that, where I'm like, Oh my God. And then this happened. It's usually something ridiculous that happened to me and that luckily I got out of. For example, my story in Florida, getting pulled over, um, doing 130 or 140 in a Jaguar with my other two Colombian friends, you know, we well, were that, breaking the law. Well, that one time when you and Carlos went the wrong way on a one-way street downtown Seattle. We were re- breaking the law. 
Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and so, so right now I'm laughing about it. Right. Uh, so there are things like the, that where you're and like... And a cop but, was right there and it was two in the morning and you guys right. were drinking. Right. Exactly. So we're breaking the law and you're like, oh my God, this is crazy. So there is that element of it, right? And I guess that's the commonality. And One you got thing, away though, with it. The cop pulled you over and... And right. Carlos was, right. you know, um, he's from Mexico. He has a Mexican license plates. And and the cop the, is like, oh, okay, you must just not have known that in this country, one-way streets, you know, that kind of thing. And but, and we laughed about We still laugh about that moment. That's right. But there is, there is this, maybe there's this big difference. Like, look, let's not kid ourselves. You're doing 140, you could kill people. You're going the wrong way, intoxicated, you could kill people. You can hurt them, kill whatever. So there is that. The thing, though, is we didn't hit someone. We didn't hit someone and say, right. oh, my God, and the cops didn't even see that we hit that person. Right. right? Is, it, is it that kids are confused about the line there? Is it that their morality, that, you know, the prefrontal cortex doesn't come online quite enough, and they, they can't tell the difference between tragedy averted and actual tragedy? Maybe, because in both cases, there was something illegal or wrong being done, and then you're like, oh, my God, I can't believe nothing bad happened. And the other one is like, oh, my God, something bad happened. Can you believe it? Right. That's interesting. Right. Yeah. So on that analogy, you go the, you and Carlos go the wrong way down a one-way street, and you run someone over. Right. And, and like, oh, my God, you remember their face when we ran them over? Right. <laughs> they couldn't believe. What are these two Latinos running me over for? But the cops were looking the other way. Oh, my God, we got so lucky. Yeah. What? No, we wouldn't laugh about that. And, and, and then what happened to the person? Oh, uh, who knows? But anyways, that's not the point of the story. Wait, what? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I think in, in our discussion here, I think I, I've land, I guess when I was writing my notes, I was like, I don't understand this, but it, you know, and sort of saying it out loud, hearing your opinion, I think, I think that's what it was. I think it's that it's tragedy averted, but they don't understand the line between averted tragedy and actual tragedy because they're children and right. and they haven't learned one and two their brain according to brain science hasn't developed to the point where they actually have a, a moral understanding meaning they can't they can't bring everything together and say like wait that is not okay because it harms someone else yeah to this degree and hmm, this is no longer tragedy averted this is this is tragedy actual tragedy <laughs> but then then what do you make of the owner of that one story that's like ah uh, you know i mean when i was a kid you just get suspended for a couple of days now they put people in jail what do you mean you know there was in the in the documentary there was that one owner of a store of a store he's an older dude yeah he's not a kid with a pre-court well lobe rape, cul rape culture which we are going to get into after the break what do you say Berto? let's do it Hey, Deserving Listeners, as y'all know, I am constantly recommending that people go to therapy. We all need therapy from time to time. Well, one of the options available that is definitely worth checking out is BetterHelp. If you're looking for a therapist, I would give it a try by going to betterhelp.com slash Kirk. Make sure you use the promo code Kirk because you get 10% off your first month and it really helps us out. As you watch these videos, I know many of you have been motivated to find your own therapist, which is great because you deserve it. And I know also that it can be hard to find a good fit, find the right one for you. Well, one of the options available in terms of your shopping is to go to betterhelp.com slash Kirk. I've been told you can start communicating with your therapist in under 24 hours. You can message your counselor at any time, 
Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. I've also been told that it's often less expensive than in-person therapy, and you should know that this service is available to clients worldwide. So go to BetterHelp.com Kirk to get 10% off your first month today. All right, we're back from the break. So I want to do an OPP, an old patron, old patron praise. One, two, three. So these five wonderful people have been patrons of the podcast since August of 2016. So every episode lately, we've been rattling off people that have been with the podcast as patrons for over five years. These people, August 2016, they signed up. We have. Someone that calls themselves the Purple Couch Podcast from Salem, Wisconsin. Uh, I don't know their name, but they have a, I'm guessing they have a podcast called the Purple Couch Podcast. Look them up. We also got Jared from Roseville, California. And we have Guy Young, Guy Young from Seoul, Korea. And we have someone that is called the City of Melbourne from Newman, Australia. <laughs> uh, they call themselves the City of Melbourne. Maybe it's like literally the city of Melbourne as a patron of the podcast. And then we have Sebastian from Denmark. Sebastian, city of Melbourne, Gay Young, uh, Jared, and the Purple Couch Podcast. Thank you so much for being a patron of the podcast for so, so long. We love you, OPPs. Heart, heart, heart. All right, let's go into rape culture. So this isn't going to be a totally comprehensive list. I actually had to kind of pare it down for time's sake, but these are, I think, the most important elements of it that I can come up with. Uh, Maybe you listeners might be able to come up with some others. So let's define rape culture right off the start. Berto, what is rape culture? I think it's come to mean the pervasive uh, feeling that it's okay um, especially for boys, but not always men, um, to transgress boundaries of uh, people saying or consenting to sexuality. Um, because, uh, you know, sexuality is complex and people don't always mean no. And, uh, and you know, who's to say what, what they really meant and why were they there in the first place? And, uh, and you know, it's, it's he said, she said, and then in the end, it's like, relationships are hard and and then it's kind of a range because I, i'm actually giving almost the tamer side of it there is the 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 other side which is kind of the in the spectrum of rape culture there's the uh they're always lying they're always lying they're always lying they always make up that oh i i changed my mind the next morning it was rape um like all these perceptions all these things i can't i think these are grouped together and these aren't one-off observations unfortunately it's there's too many examples. And then top it to top it off, even the, let's say, non-offenders or the, the people more in the neutral territory, we grew up with kind of horrible notions because that's just how we grew up. And that makes our culture turn the other way or not take things seriously enough or not believe accusers and so forth. Yeah. So this is my wording of my definition. Uh, uh, it, it reflects what you're saying, Berto. Is rape culture is a set of ongoing cultural ideas and practices that encourage and justify rape. 
And if you're not familiar with rape culture, then you might say, huh, encourage and justify rape. That doesn't make any sense, but we'll get into it. First coined when, in what decade, Berto, do you think it was first coined? Hmm. The 90s? The 70s. Way back oh, then. Wow. From uh, feminists, of course, who were writing books about rape culture that we still need to read today. It's actually wow. really, you know, you read this stuff in the 70s and you're just like, my God, we have not come very far. Oh, man. So, uh, all right. The first thing that we want to get into about uh, the cultural components that comprise or are related to rape culture, contribute to rape culture, is sexism in general. And the definition that I would put forth for sexism is similar to rape culture, but more broad, which is that all the cultural notions and practices that contribute to the idea that women are inferior you know, like women are only valuable if they're useful to men somehow, these kinds of sexist ideas, which are quite pervasive through our culture and many cultures. Then there's misogyny, which is related to sexism, but Berta, what, what does misogyny mean? Well, that's more directly, I mean, the literal meaning is you hate <laughs> uh, women. Uh, and I guess the more, the, the aspect of it as it, as it plays out, is a general, a general sense that uh, men have more rights, or men, men are right more than women, and therefore, uh, you know, kind of a slant against women and for men. Yeah, the way you describe it, I would say that's more sexism, uh, but misogyny, at least at least in the original use of the term, or the common use of the term, is that it's sexism with the addition of, and therefore women need to be punished or it's okay to harm them. You know, it's one thing to think women are inferior, which is sexism. Mm. It's another thing to think that women, because they're inferior and not really human, they deserve to be punished. They deserve to be hated. They deserve to be harmed. They don't, they don't deserve a voice because uh, gosh darn it, I'm not going to let them talk. You know, it's one thing, it's one thing to, like, you're, so you have two men in a meeting at work uh, with, you know, mixed genders in the, in the meeting. One man is a sexist and the other is a misogynist. The sexist won't listen to, to women because women are inferior. When women are talking, he'll, he'll over-talk, he'll, you know, take up a lot of space. The sexist man will just think he's, He's better and his ideas are better. He'll listen to men more than women. So that's sexism. The misogynist will go into the room thinking, I need to shut the women up. And they, why are they even here? And hmm. they need, that woman is talking too much and she needs to shut up. She needs to know her place. That's the misogynist. Right. So misogyny in our culture leads to a lot of things that I think affect boys uh, you know about 4chan, Berto. Tell me about this misogyny on 4chan. Yeah, so I, I used to spend a lot of time in 4chan about 12 years ago, and then off and on after that, but rarely now. Uh, I When I first went on there, it, it was because there's a lot of younger dudes, mostly guys, but not only, and there was a lot of creativity, actually. You know, they, they, they were 
they were posting a lot of funny things. They would make up memes. Like almost every meme you've seen started originally in 4chan or was found by someone on 4chan and then made popular that way. Uh, and so there was a lot of humor, a lot of interesting things, a lot of, uh, a lot of gaming culture stuff and whatnot. At the same time, there were parts of it that were, you know, very focused and dedicated on uh, horrible things like uh, child pornography or on, um, what do you call it? Like uh, the, the, when there's death porn or whatever, um, the, those, what well, I forget the na- name for it, but like really dark stuff. And they would post pictures that were like supposedly someone dying or dead or something. And every time, I, I, it was so hard because I'd be skimming through trying to find, like, the good content. And you would just be shocked by, like, some image. And, like, I have to, like, scroll by really quickly. Um, now, technically speaking, they would take down, uh, they would have to take down anything that was actually provable, you know, that was bad. But the point is that they would they would just talk and po- they would talk about some horrible things. So after a bit, I, I was like, man, this is so toxic. And... Absolutely misogyny. Absolute misogyny. Not only that, absolute racism. Just almost like complete hatred of humanity, actually. Uh, and then I realized, dude, it's not worth it. Like, all this creativity. It's sad. It's like, why? there's all this creativity. Why, why would this happen? You know, because when I hear about that, or at least back in the day, when I first heard about that kind of stuff, I thought... What? And then the second thought I thought, because people would feed me this information, oh, you know, it's trolls. But I, of course, now we understand in 2021 that not all these people are trolls. In fact, a majority of these people, this is an expression of how they feel. Yeah. So what is it about, what is it about 4chan? What is it about our society that you walk down the street, you don't hear this stuff very often, but you go on 4chan, you go on the internet, it's all over the place. What's going on? There's part of it that I actually don't understand because um, it's the similar stuff that I still didn't understand in high school. So some of my friends, and I think it was a common thing, maybe it's the majority of people, uh, were very obsessed with seeing things that were bad, let's say. For example, do you remember the Faces of Death videos? Mm-hmm. Those VHS, VHS tapes back in the day. Uh, I remember one of my friends was like, oh, I got the Faces of Death. You should come and watch it. And I was like... Uh, I don't want to watch that. What? Are these real people dying? But there was this obsession with like, I guess as a human, wanting to see things that you've never seen before. And I mean, I can relate to that in general, but when it came to things like that, I could never relate. I could never relate to, oh yeah, that's true. I've never seen someone be killed. I want to see that. I could never relate to that. Yet, it seems like it's a common thing. Or at least it's not that unique. And so I think that that's part of it. These people get on, and since it's an anonymized website, they can let loose. They can say, well, I've always wanted to see blah, and this is the place I can so, do it. I've- so the, uh, the hypothesis is that there are a lot of secret, deep, deep misogynists that can't express their true feelings in pleasant company. Absolutely. And they may have a hard time, you know, so now there's a lot of folks there that may have a hard time actually getting in relationships and they express their frustration. And now they're anonymous. They can say whatever they want. And then they dogpile on top of each other because they're like, yeah, totally. And then one says something more outrageous. And, and part of the culture isn't trying to be outrageous. 
So, of course, you're going to try to be even more outrageous than the last person. Otherwise, you don't get the LOLs, right? You don't get, you don't get someone saying, wow, that was a funny post, if you're just saying something very vanilla and neutral, like, yeah, sometimes you know, some sometimes, women hurt my feelings. That's right. No, that's not fun. That's not, that's not lulls. You need to go crazy with it. And, and I think that doesn't help, right? That, that just makes everything ex- es- escalate really quickly. So I think that brings up another aspect of rape culture that I hadn't thought about, which is that there's a mask, toxic masculine, or maybe just a general masculine ideal of shocking people with humor to be funny to be the the alpha jokester in the room. And yeah. if you're online and the only thing that rises above the, the din of everything else is to be like super shocking, then it, uh, it, is, is, it signals I'm the alpha joker in this room. Look at me. I won. I'm at the top of the heap because I get all the clicks because of how far I took this. And it creates this kind of runaway effect with misogyny in that environment well you've seen me uh do that kind of thing not so much with misogyny but with offensiveness and i stopped doing this at finally you know but do you remember when i would be at your house and you were having a party and i i don't know if you recall like i said a few offensive jokes and there were a couple of people like oh, i can't believe you just said that and in how mind, long like, ago? How long ago are you talking about? Um, this is you. You were living in Seattle still. It's the um, so ten years probably ago. Ten years ago, maybe. Okay. And and I would pride myself on like that's right. I offended them. I said something that no one else had the balls to say to uh, their face. So, um, but it like, was I'm the I'm the alpha joker. I'm the alpha joker because I I went there. Oh, I went there. Now, is is am I coming out from left field? No, actually. That's what a lot of comedians are known for, right? They say these shocking, outrageous things, and we all clap. So part of comedy is actually about shock, right? Not all types of comedy. But, and so in my mind, if I... Oh, and then there was another aspect, actually. There was this pride in my mind about being able to uh, sort of decouple my emotions from my thinking. And, and this goes deep because I remember as a kid... I, 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 we would be watching a show on TV that was showing an operation. And I, and I was like, how come my dad is able to watch this? And I'm like, dad, that's like, how can you see that? He's like, well, I mean, first of all, I'm a doctor. I like, I actually did that. And you have to learn to like compartmentalize. And, and so then I thought, oh, that's interesting. And so as I grew up, I thought, oh, I'm, I'm going to learn how to do that. And I got pretty good at it. I got to a point where I could, flip this little switch in my head and say, right now I'm not going to care. I mean, I'm just going to be this impartial machine that is looking at this thing and not have emotions. Yeah. Another part of toxic masculinity is to the, the denial and, or the, the uh, conquering of one's emotions. And so when I was saying those kinds of things, that was kind of the pride too of me going, that's right. For example, like when I told the aristocrats joke in Vegas, um, you know, we were all having a laugh, but in my mind, that's part of it. I'm like, that's right. I'm able to, because, you know, in, in reality, I would never say or do those things for real or, or wish that on anyone. Like, it's, it's a horrible set of occurrences that you list out when you're saying that joke. But I was proud that I can flip the switch off in my brain and now tell you the most outrageous things. And again, this is not like 
oh, why Umberto is doing this so such a weird thing? Like, that's the whole joke. Like, that's why you see Bob Saget, all these famous comedians doing that joke. And they're able to say all these horrible things that we in reality know they don't do. And, but there is a pride to that. So then you take that into a forum and you're anonymous. Now imagine. Now imagine what you can say. Yeah. Interesting. So you also kind of mentioned a little bit about incels, big top pickup artists, men's movement people, red pill people. These are people from my estimation, I've worked with clients in this community and, and I've had people email in, in this community as well over the years. We've done episodes on incel. If you don't know, there's people out there. If you don't know, there's a whole, uh, there's a number of groups, uh, that are very similar to each other. They're different, but they're similar. People will email in. They'll be like, how dare you equate incels with MGTOW? They're totally different. I'm an incel and MGTOW people are idiots. You know, this kind of stuff. I don't oh, really? Know. Yeah, I, I didn't don't, know that. There was yeah, something. I don't really get it, but okay. I'm sure there are some minor distinctions, but the uh, overall uh, similarities, and none of them would agree with me on this, is that they're all hurt boys, heterosexual boys, men who have been rejected somehow as most men and boys have been by by women and they don't know what to do with it and they might be awkward they might be shy they might be socially anxious they might have been traumatized somehow they might have depression but they are frustrated and they don't know what to do and instead of turning to therapy or working on themselves or asking you know, themselves, what are their needs? Maybe my needs aren't just sexual. Maybe they're like, you know, more general of attachments and friendship and stuff. They turn to the internet and there are these groups of people that will tell them it's not you, it's feminism, it's women, it's women's fault. And it's not your fault. You didn't do anything wrong. You were doing what you were supposed to do. And Mm -hmm. it's women and, and chads, you know, the, the alpha (laughs) males, their fault too. It's, it's the the Stacys and the Chads. And I still they, can't get over that the that Chad is somehow a cool name. <laughs> yeah, because we have a we have a no friend named Chad. We have a friend named Chad, and he's definitely not a Chad. My <laughs> wife is named Stacy, and she's definitely not a Stacy in terms of the stereotype. No one's really yeah. a Stacy. It's a, it's a complete it's cartoonish yeah. uh, idea. But <laughs> uh, but anyway, so. This is another echo chamber, many internet echo chambers of misogyny uh, that will propagate these ideas, not only of sexism, but of deep hatred of women. And it's real and it's out there. Okay. So we talked about sexism. We talked about misogyny. Let's talk about the patriarchy, Berto. What is the patriarchy? So it's basically that the power structure of, of the society in question is mostly based around males having the power. So the... You know, you'll have a male president, you'll have mostly male senators, you'll have mostly male heads of industry, mostly male managers and leaders. Um, and then, you know, women might be able to participate to some level. But they have to and this is, be, they have to participate in the patriarchy because, because that's right. it, yeah, right, exactly. So not only is it the ideas of systemic, that uphold systemic sexism, but also the the system itself is is sexist and men are in control. So it's sort of like a bunch of male CEOs get to get together or male politicians get together and they say, men, we are in control. Why? Because men are better, obviously. And then a woman says, well, how do you know you're better? And they're like, well, we passed a law that 
defined men as being better. And there are actually countless examples in our society and history that actually are similar to this. And this isn't just the patriarchy. There's a lot of racism and other kinds of ableism as well. But uh, when you have a group of people in power, uh, at the very least, they tend to be biased towards their uh, self-interest or actively hostile towards anyone else getting any kind of power and they will do everything in their power to stop other people from having power. Hmm. So that is the patriarchy. Also, it is the more general idea of the male-centered ideas that become reality. Like, for example, it's the patriarchy that says that, you know, crying is weak or emotions are weak because masculine masculinity is associated with lack of emotion toxic masculinity whereas mm. you know femininity is associated with emotion this goes way back to sartre in fact but this idea of men are about uh strength and brawn and you know they do they they're the firemen that rush into the burning building without any kind of thought and the women are there to care and to listen to you and to cry with you. And this is also the patriarchy because they look at women associated, feminine associated things. And they say, those are inferior crying and emotions are associated with women. And thus they are inferior. That is the patriarchy. And this is where we've had some debates and I still think I'm on, I'm on a little interesting part here because, um, there are certain facts throughout history, and I don't mean like the last couple hundred years, I mean like the last hundred thousand years, which are that uh, for whatever reason, biologically, men developed bigger and stronger than women on average. And that meant that, in fact, uh, there was no physical contest to be had between the two if it, if it came down to that. Therefore, since in most societies, it was physical dominance that determined who was in charge, well, not only were the most physically dominant males in charge, or uh, individuals in charge, but they happened to be males. Uh, and then you had to look at, well, what does it take to be physically dominant? What does it take to go out to war and, be, and, and survive and come back and all these things? And actually, yeah, it turns out that you had to suppress. You had to endure crazy uh, wounds and not care that your buddies are lying face down in their own blood and blah, blah. Um, and so... That's how we got here. Like, it doesn't mean that we, we should stay there, but it's, it's not that surprising to me b based on the history of humanity. Well, yeah, I, we should not get into the weeds, but there are some things about what you're saying that are, you know, not debatable. The fact that men throughout history were the ones who went to war and obviously men, at least in civilized history, because we don't know what happened during our hunter-gatherer days at all, really. Uh, in fact, there's a lot of evidence that shows that 100,000 years ago, we were much more cooperative, like bonobos, than we actually give us credit for. Uh, and males in our species are not that much different from women. They're different. They're, you know, they have more muscle. They have you know, more upper body strength. But when you compare us to other primates, we're, we're not as divergent um, among the, the genders, but... Uh, but somewhat. Um, so I think anthropologists would uh, question some of the premises that you're having. But the idea that 
men, uh, at least uh, 2,000 years ago, you know, throughout civilized societies around the world, that when you have large groups of city-states that fight with other city-states or tribes that fight with other tribes, you need to have some fighters, and men will be called upon to do that uh, primarily. I'm sure women also fought as well, but... And it serves the tribe if some of these men can at least temporarily put aside their feelings and be sadistic to some extent to be be violent. And we would at least culturally propose the idea that it's good for men to not have feelings in some situations. Whether or not it's natural for men to be that way is extremely debatable. In fact, I would absolutely argue with that. In my experience, men have exactly, no matter what gender you are, you have all the same capacity for emotion and vulnerability and, and emotional need as anyone else. So much so that, like, if uh, I was, I was uh, reading about the way that, speaking of the Aztecs, the way that the Aztecs would uh, train their Uh-oh, are their you going to get in trouble again? With yeah, I'm going to get in trouble. The way they would train their boys, they would... Nurture them absolutely. So, so let, let, let me just, let me just, I just, I'm just curious. Sorry for interrupting. You said, I don't remember what you said about Aztecs uh, in a previous episode. Then people, uh, com- it was, yeah. people commented, and then you decided, screw you, listeners. I'm going to look into the history of the Aztecs and absolutely. really, and really <laughs> know so that the next time on the podcast, yeah. I'm going to prove all those listeners wrong. So, so, so lay it on us, Berto, and invite a whole new wave of emails. Yeah. So the, the basic thing was that they would they would take their boys and they would be nurtured pretty well by their mothers um, up until a certain age. I think it's like nine or something. At that point, they would be taken and they would be indoctrinated to become warriors. And all the niceties were gone. There was basically the sense of like, look, you're not a baby anymore. And now we're going to go Spartan on your ass. Um, and you know, look, it's... I know we want to, and this is where I get, this is where I get in debates, right? I know we want to pretend that life has always been this like modern, you know, cushy existence, but it hasn't. And, you know, so the fact is that for, for most of our history, um, people fought and they had to because the other tribe came in and, and well, the ones that were peaceful got swallowed up. <laughs> well, well, that's why it's differentiating between hunter-gatherers and cities and tribes because because we have evidence with contemporary hunter-gatherer societies around the world today that demonstrate they are way more cooperative and way more uh, way less sexist in a lot of ways than uh, perhaps our more uh, quote-unquote civilized you know city states were in the past so we we don't know what we were like a hundred thousand years ago, but what we do have, you know, history of a thousand years ago or two thousand years ago. What happened to the Neanderthals? What's the leading theory? The leading theory is that Homo sapiens almost exterminated them. No, that's actually not true. They, <laughs> that's that, the leading theory. Uh, well, <laughs> that we bred with them, but not like we displaced like, them. Is one of the is one of the major theories. Is that where are they? <laughs> they're in us. All you and I both have Neanderth. We we a little bit, yeah. But the majority was Homo sapiens. Survived. Well. Well, well, what happened to all of the other, uh, you know, uh, homos is, you know, the other, uh, 
you know, all the other versions of, I don't know the words, but the, the species of humans that all the other off branches, it wasn't just Neanderthals, but yeah. the point is, and, is that and, we, we don't know is, and, and, well, but, and okay. the, the, look, look, the glorified fine, but, violent point of view is possible, but, but, but let's say, but we uh, don't let's have say I that. Let's say I granted you. I'm just going to grant you. I said, let's say, let's rewind the clock uh, 100,000 years or whatever. And let's say that before that, we were all peace-loving hippies. Let's just say that. The fact is, that's not relevant because for the last, even right. if it were just the last 3,000 years. That's what I was saying. That's, that's right. exactly what I was saying. Right. Okay, fair enough. So another and example. So, now, let's get off of this, bro. We have, all right, we let's have, get off. We, 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 I knew this would happen. So, I'm starting to sharpen my swords, damn it. <laughs> we'll save it for our evolutionary psychology episodes that will never exist because we've done too many of them. But getting back to the patriarchy, so another idea is that, you know, child rearing or being a being a home person is inferior, whereas working in the office is superior. We have this ingrained in our society. It is ingrained in our bones from the day that we first observe these kinds of things. But it's a social construction. It doesn't make any sense. Why would child rearing be less important than the president of the United States? It's, it has it on its face. One is a job you do at, at work <laughs> and the other one is literally creating and helping lives to grow into the world. So I'm not saying one's better than the other. I'm just saying that we have a culture that says definitely one is better than the other and working outside. And so that's another element of the patriarchy. I am going to say, although I gen- generally agree that. I wonder if there's another aspect to it because think about how teaching teaching in general, whether they're male or female teachers, isn't valued that highly um, compared to you know high paying professions and things like that. Right. So it's something about like educating the kids. Well, because well, devalued. No. Well, let me give you a very clear example. Being a professor like myself is highly valued. There's a lot of prestige in being a professor. Yeah, these are adults you're teaching. Uh, well, I don't know what culture uh, you're exhibiting, but uh, in my uh, cultural circle, professors are highly regarded. They're way more respected than they need to be. Not in, but not teachers. Like teachers, but but teachers, high school teachers and below are not. Why? Because right. women were traditionally in schools and men were traditionally professors. I mean, I'm not denying that that's a fact. I'm just saying. I guess I'm asking. I think that there's more to it about the younger kids. And, and l- look at it from this perspective. Think about how the cultural norm used to be to send your kids away. Th- think about how people didn't even think, wait a minute, should I spend time with my kids? Isn't rearing my kids important? No. So, but that wasn't even just about the women. It was like, I'm going to send them away to some school. Let them learn over there. I'll see them at Christmas. And yet it, you have other cultures in that, that seemed to value child rearing highly mm-hmm. uh, back in the day and maybe in other parts of the world and things like that, where in our culture, child education, let alone by women, whatever, is, eh, yeah, they'll, they'll learn, whatever. That's why people are like, yeah, end public schools, we should just have private schools, or just, just home study, whatever. It's not valued. Right. Right. Because in my hypothesis, it and a lot of other theorists, is that that's associated with women. Whereas building a house or running the government is male work and thus much more prestigious. 
I am going to disagree with you on the educational thing because uh. actually, because of your point, if we did, like, think, think about it. I, I'm part of the patriarchy. I don't think that much about women. They, they shouldn't be doing the difficult, important things. So we're going to give them the menial jobs, like, oh, I don't know, raising the kids. If you actually valued raising the kids, would you leave it in the hands of the women? No. That's got to be the man's job. In fact, pro- case in point, because like these big institutions, like the the special private schools, those because well, like but that's based the on the premise. That's like based on the a, premise that the people valued raising children, which was not no, true. But that's my point. I think that the bigger issue is that somehow in parts of our culture we lost the value of raising kids. Yeah, and that that one isn't so much an example of. Uh, well, sexism it's both. Well, it's both. Feminism. It, it's, it's, or, uh, it's, sorry, sexism. I don't know if ageism is the right term, but uh, hatred of children, <laughs> denial of children's needs, plus sexism equals women do child-rearing work, including, you know, teaching, that kind of thing. Because you can't blame, like, the, the, you know, people look down on on menial jobs, like, oh, the gardener or the the plumber, whatever. You can't blame that on sexism. There is definitely classism, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think there's educationalism or ageism, like you're saying. Well, yeah, there's uh, childism, maybe. Childism. <laughs> Adultism. Um, oh, who knows? But, Anyways. But yeah, it's, killed... it's, it's additional. It's, it's, I just you know, wanted to kick the dead in, horse. As they say, more. intersectional. Um, so we have the patriarchy, and it is all these things, and thus you have... This system of power in the government, in the police force, in you know, the coaches of the football team, the administration of the school, the people, you know, the, the radio host, the, poli- you know, the police, like I said, the press. You have the system of power of patriarchy, men supporting men in power. And thus, when women come forward talking about rape, then you have to do something to establish the patriarchy. And one of the things you do is you trivialize rape in general. You just, ah, rape, you know, things happen. And, you know, we saw this in the documentary. Well, you know, she got real drunk. You know, things happen sometimes. They, to everyone got drunk. It's not a big deal. That's the patriarchy being part of rape culture. Another is rape jokes in general. You mentioned this earlier, like on 4chan, but just stand-up comics. How many times have you heard a joke about prison rape? This isn't rape against women, usually, but you'll hear a joke like, ah, you know, he's going to jail. He's going to get, you know, butt raped by some big guy and the crowd laughs. So we we have this. And so, but that's just a minority of the overall rape jokes, which are usually about women. And by the way, I want to recommend, I'm sure many of you have read it, but Lindy West's book, Shrill, has a whole chapter or two on this issue because Lindy West was at the epicenter of the rape joke awareness issue that was five or 10 years ago. Do you remember that, Berto? I don't, actually. It was a big thing in the stand-up comic world about this issue of, is it okay to have rape jokes in your stand-up act? And it was essentially Lindy West against the world (laughs) at that, our our local uh, stranger writer, Lindy West. And and so like the idea was, hey, rape's not funny. Like, let's take it out of the. Right. Uh, Not only is it not funny, but the jokes are upholding the misogynistic culture. And 
And Lindy West received so much hatred from men who basically proved her point because men would, because all she was, she wasn't saying censorship. She was just saying, hey, I love stand up. And because Lindy West is a comedian herself and she, yeah. she writes comedy. She actually did stand up for a while. She hung out with, you know, comics, local comics like uh, Hari Kondabalu. I don't know if you know him. Stacey and I actually saw him live a few years ago. Hari Kondabalu? I think that's his name. Okay. Um, and so she was, she spoke up about it. She was just saying, hey, I love comedy. I don't want to ruin comedy. I, you know, I write comedy. Can we please leave, one, the fat jokes out, and two, can we leave this, the rape jokes out? Um you know, they're not funny. And there's so many other things you could be joking about. And when you joke about it, it, it just, it just justifies it. It, I don't understand it. It, it denies the pain that so many people are going through and people attacked her, attacked her, attacked her. And a lot of people attacked her by saying, you're disgusting. No one would want to rape you. Or they would say things like, you're a disgusting bitch. I'm going to rape you. So the people who were against Lindy West were making the point about rape culture that she was trying to make. Do you know what I'm saying? Oh, man. <laughs> like, instead of people saying to her, hey, you know, I kind of understand what you're saying, but, you know, it's just kind of funny. What's the big deal? That's not what they were saying. What they were saying was, no one wants to rape you because you're fat, or you're so disgusting, I'm going to rape you tonight, or I'm going to get you. And, you know, I'm going to shut you up through rape. Like, there's nothing more misogynistic oh, or God. rape culture or the patriarchy than that, right? That a woman oh. speaking up and saying, those jokes aren't funny. And then a bunch of men coming down hard on her saying, I'm going to punish you. I'm going to put you in your place through rape. Like, you're making the point. Anyway, I'm rambling yeah. and repeating myself. But listen to Lindy. She has an audio book where she reads Shrill. You can also read the book. So, with the patriarchy, we have systemic problems. Like in this case, we have perhaps untrained cops. We have inadequate laws and legal processes, of course, made by men. In the documentary, we had the school admin that covered it up. We had the coach that just took the word of the rapists. <laughs> I mean, do you remember that coach when he was in the documentary? Yeah. He's like, well, I talked to the rapist. I asked him. Yeah. I asked him, did you... Fuck. Did you rape that girl? And they're, they're like, uh, no. And he's like, so, you know... That's <laughs> like, uh, yeah. what? But I mean, clearly that wasn't the end of the story because he knew, in the back of his mind, he knew something happened. Right. He might not have thought they they did the worst thing because he was even saying like, oh, look, I want the truth to come out because, you know, some of the stuff they're saying. So he kind of wanted it to not be true because the stuff they were saying is so horrible. But at the same time, he was like, yeah, you got a car. These are good kids. These are good kids. Yeah, right. Which is another part of which I'll get into in a second, which is what I'm going to get into next, which is the broader topic of sex negativity. So, Berto, what is sex negativity? Oh, that's interesting. I mean, I would have thought, and maybe this is what it is. I would have thought like, uh, well, if it is what, what I'm thinking that you've brought up before is like in our culture, we're very you know, sex is taboo. We, we shouldn't really discuss it with kids or in general, like sex ed, we should maybe not have it. If we have it, it should be like at 18 and don't cover much. Don't talk about condoms, that kind of thing. Yeah, that's an effect of it. But more specifically, it's this idea that sex is disgusting. You know, sex is negative. Yeah. Sex is gross. 
sex is taboo. Sex should not be discussed. That's sex negativity. You're disgusting if you think about sex. You're disgusting right. if you have sex outside of this extremely narrow, you know, corridor. Uh, it's gross. Ew. Ew. I mean, we have so much sex negativity. By the way, this <laughs> this is just an aside, and I know people will laugh at me, but I grew up in the 70s and early 80s when people wore shorts, you know, all the time. And not just shorts, but like really short shorts. Today's world, young people, they laugh about that. Look at those short shorts. Disgusting. Ew. And my contention has always been that it's one thing to say that's not fashionable. You know, if someone wears if someone wears an IZOD and they pop their collar, you're like, well, that's, that's, <laughs> that's not fashionable. That's from the it's 80s. It's not in style. <laughs> but you're not going to go, Gross. But when, when people wear, like me, wear short shorts, and I'm not even talking, I don't even wear that short. I'm talking shorts that just go like, you know, almost thongs, to the knee. Thongs. You wear thongs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know that, that Borat thong that he wears? Yeah. No, I have shorts that are like not over the knee. You know, they show my knee and they show like my upper, my lower thigh. Okay, and, so, so, okay. and people will, people will say, ew. And I, I'm, I think, I take that as a sex negative uh, thing because I am showing what? the skin of my lower thigh and somehow that's disgusting to look at i guarantee you it's not disgusting there's nothing disgusting about a normal effing leg you know it's okay people it's not going to (laughs) jump out at you and like harm you somehow or taint you it's just don't look at my knees if you don't want to look at them i mean what is the problem i agree with you and i'm so hurt by this because when i was in college I would wear these tiny little um, cloth shorts to sleep in. (laughs) And one day, my roommate, Dave, had a mattress out in the living room of the bedroom or the apartment we shared. And our mutual friend Chong was over and there were a couple girls over. And I, and I I think it was in the evening or whatever, I came out and I jumped on the mattress just for fun. Uh, And I was kind of laying there and stuff. And then Chong comes out and the two girls are there. Chong's like, uh, dude, I can see your balls. <laughs> your balls are hanging out. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> and sure enough, oh my God, I was so embarrassed. Okay, uh, you're taking it too far. You're not no, making my point. No, but isn't that what you're saying? I, I shouldn't have been made, I shouldn't have been shamed for my balls. <laughs> well, I don't know if everyone wants to see their see What's someone wrong else's. What's with the balls? <laughs> well, okay. I mean, if we really took it to as extreme, but what I'm uh, talking, I'm literally talking about the skin just above my knee, and you took it to. <laughs> anyway, the point is, is that there's, we live in a sex negative culture. Okay, getting back to rape culture. Thus, because we live in a sex is gross culture, you know, sex is disgusting. We live in a culture where people who have sex. Anyone who has sex outside of the narrow vanilla window, meaning that you wait until you get married, it is definitely heterosexual sex, it's missionary position, you're definitely white, you're definitely thin, you're definitely, you know, Protestant, and everything looks normal. Unless you are doing, if you're doing anything outside of that, it is disgusting and dirty and you do not talk about it and you shouldn't be doing it. And thus, as a heuristic, rape victims are gross. You know, 
you believe if if you believe sex is gross and anything outside of vanilla is gross, then if you were raped, then right. you are gross. You are disgusting because you were raped. You are tainted. There's something gross about you now that you know makes it so that one it you know compounds the trauma that rape victims experience, but it also uh, prevents them from coming forward because they don't want to be associated with something disgusting because the rape victim has also internalized likely sex, all the sex negativity and all these ideas so that they actually think of themselves as gross. They think of themselves as deserving of it. They think oh of themselves God. as not worthy of coming forward, that kind of thing. Yeah. And, the, and then this is what I've been saying, you know, and I discovered this sort of line of thinking at, through all of our discussions, Brito, over the years years ago, that when someone stabs you in the leg, uh, someone walks up to you with a knife and stabs you in the leg, you don't, you don't go home and tell no one about it. You immediately call 911 if someone says, you're not embarrassed about it. Right. When someone says, you know, what's wrong with your limp, what's happening or, oh, this random person stabbed me in the leg. Uh, 97, 99% of people get stabbed in the leg. They report it. But when you when someone is raped, a small percentage of people were, will even tell someone about it, let alone right. tell the police about it. Why is that? Both are victims of a violent crime. Why is it that one group of people report it and another group don't? Well, it's because of sex negativity and victim blaming and slut shaming, which we'll get into in a second, but all those things. So sex negativity leads to what you were talking about, Berto, earlier, which is lack of education. As you were yeah. saying, no one talked with me about, you know, date rape or misogyny or... Or even how to think about relationships or how to think about other people in yeah. that sense. And, or how, how to interpret toxic masculinity in other boys. No one, no one brought this up. No one in schools, no one at home. TVs and movies didn't deal with it. Another element of sex negativity, you know, because of this lack of discussion, is that you have boys that confuse the levels of consent. You know, because you yeah. heard it in this in this documentary, they're like, well, you know, she consented to get drunk and she consented to get in that car with those boys. So yeah. and I'm like, uh, yeah, you can consent to get drunk. You can consent to get in someone's car. It doesn't that doesn't mean uh, game on, boys, go ahead and rape me. You know, it's like, where does that come from? And I think it's because people don't say you know like another more specific date rape discussion that you need to have with a lot of people uh is there's there's a difference between saying i want to make out with you in your bed and i want to have sex with you yeah you know it, it just because you and and you'll you'll hear people say well why was she in his room why was she making out with him why did she get drunk with him and you're like and you to your point uh, earlier <laughs> You don't hear things like, you know, hey, Kirk, you know, our mutual friend Chong was over and uh, he stole my freaking computer. And then you're like, well, he was over at your place. Yeah, why you, why you, did you invite him over? Why did you invite him over? Yeah, no one says that. Everyone understands that inviting someone into, or a, a, maybe an even more apt analogy is. It's like I lent him my computer. He, right. Now he stole it. He stole exactly. It. <laughs> I, I gave well, him. Why did you lend him? Yeah. Why did you. Computer. If you if you didn't want to steal it, then why did you let him use your computer? It's like yeah. I think we all understand the levels of consent there. Like I did consent to lending, I did not consent to stealing, I did consent to make out, I did not consent to being raped. 
So <laughs> this, and this is all, I think, in my sort of categorization under the umbrella of sex negativity and thus lack of talking about anything. You Poor know? Chong is getting thrown under the bus so much today. <laughs> he's done so many bad things today. He's, he's sex shamed me for my body. He stole my computer. <laughs> stole he my compu computer. Yeah. Um, the other uh, idea from sex negativity is that only evil men will rape. And you kind of mentioned this earlier. Like, you know, right. he was such a good kid. He couldn't have done that. And it's like, no, good no, no. Kids. Uh, anyone can rape. Anyone is capable of raping, particularly people who grow up in our culture. <laughs> yeah. Another idea is slut-shaming, Berto, which is also a contributor to rape culture. Berto, what is slut-shaming? It's when you make uh, the, uh, the sweeping generalization that if someone participated in sex, especially a woman, um, they are a slut. They are loose, they are promiscuous, uh, maybe even a prostitute to that extent. Um, if, you know, if it was, if it was uh, something that happened outside of like the absolute confines that we will define as maybe a really well-established boyfriend-girlfriend relationship or a marriage. Why do we slut shame? Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting question because we certainly, and we've talked about this before, we don't slut shame guys at least we didn't used to and certainly not easily i mean you would have i can't I actually i cannot imagine what a guy would have had to say in the 80s for other guys to slut shame them right i can't imagine like what it, they'd have to be like okay i just got back and i literally had sex with a million people no i remember and then we'd be like well that sounds exhausting but you still wouldn't slut shame them well you would actually slut uh glorify them i remember glorify them. when i was in the 80s hearing about wilt chamberlain having sex with yeah it's exactly ten thousand women was yeah, the rumor exactly. that that exactly. if you're not familiar wilt chamberlain very tall basketball player in the 70s and 60s i believe and the rumor was, and I think he attests to at least... It was in his book. He, some, he wrote in his book. <laughs> okay. Some some number of 10,000 women he had sex with. And, you know, we'll have to take his word for it. I think mathematicians have tried to figure out how that would work, and it, it, it'd be very kind of time-consuming. Anyway. A lot of orgies. <laughs> and so he was celebrated. No one slut-shamed him. He, no, he no. advertised it. He said, look at me. I had sex with 10,000 women. And fine, you had sex with, uh, presumably, consensually, let's hope, 10,000 women. Good for you. Whatever. It, you know, it would yeah. be like saying, right. I love bananas. And I... <laughs> I every, had a lot of bananas. In my life, I've eaten 10,000 bananas. Like, okay, great. You know, as <laughs> long as you didn't possible. harm anyone and it's a thing you enjoy to do, then great. But somehow a woman has sex with three people by the age of 23 and they're a and slut they're a and slut. they're disgusting they're yeah. because of sexism and misogyny in the patriarchy because in order for the patriarchy to exist it must control women and it must control their bodies and it must control their sexuality we cannot have women thinking for themselves we cannot have women wanting sex on their own terms because that threatens us all if men if women are just allowed to think for themselves and allowed to just have sex with whoever then they will leave us and they will take their lives in their own hands and we can't have that because we need total control of our women. Yep. Uh, we, we talked about in-group stuff, which you brought up. 
All right, victim blaming. Good old victim blaming, Berto. What is victim blaming? Yeah, it's when you essentially say to someone that you agree was victimized because it's not like you say, well, I don't believe you. It's like you're like, yeah, I believe this happened to you. However, in some way or in all way, it was your fault because of this, this and that. And therefore, and we're not even saying, okay, fine, let's go punish the people that did this to you. But by the way, you're also guilty. We're not even saying that. We're actually saying, well, I see what you're saying, um, but you shouldn't have done blah. So it's on you. Right. Why do we victim blame? So I, I think that there's maybe different, sometimes there are more, there are intentions that are maybe better founded. For example, I do think that sometimes people try to prevent bad things from happening. And so they might say, well, you know, women shouldn't do this, that, or the other thing because it might make them more susceptible to being raped. And they're still imposing unfortunate limitations that they, that shouldn't be there, but they don't have ill intention. But in other cases, I think there's a combination. Sometimes it's, Denial, like, mm, I hear what you're saying. I don't want to believe it. But if it were to happen, why were you even there? Right? Like, it's kind of like, I want to deny that. I want to pretend it didn't happen or make it all go away. And the easiest way is to say, well, I mean, you just said you were plastered and don't even remember what happened. So what, what can I tell you? Uh, another one might actually be more malicious, which even more malicious, which is essentially covering up. And I think that happened a lot in these, in this case, right? which was... If you, if you victim blame, then you save the perpetrator, exactly, which is what you're yeah. trying to do, right? Yeah, yeah. so I'll, I'll add three things to this. One is that when you believe that, you know, sex is negative, and anyone who has sex outside of the narrow window of the patriarchy, the white patriarchy, then you're disgusting, then by... Uh, it retroactively, if you have been raped, you are dis- you were always disgusting. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. that's that's the you you're not disgusting. You weren't pure and now you're oh. disgusting. You've always been disgusting because right. you are someone who were, who was raped and thus you mu- your uh, disgusting people deserve certain things, you know. They deserve yeah. to be punished. Uh, another is this bias towards the just world they call it, meaning that the just world meaning that it's a it's a a world that has justice in it. That, you know, what comes around goes around, this kind of idea. Mm. And there's this notion that if something bad happens to you or someone else, you kind of had it coming to you, right? Oh, It's similar to when a black man, a young black man is murdered in the inner Mm -hmm. city. You'll hear a lot of privileged people will point to that or they'll think, maybe they'll say, but they'll usually just think in their minds, well, you know, he must have had it coming or he must have been a gang, you know, another black Mm -hmm. man shot in the inner city. He must have been dealing drugs. He must have been up to no good. Instead of how about the possibility that a young black man was just murdered and he didn't deserve it? Well, how about we just imagine that that's a possibility? You know, if a grandma gets murdered in the suburbs, no one goes, well, you know, she kind of had it coming to her. Right. You know, it's, it's this bias that we have. We, we, we want to believe that things happen for a reason. And so, and it's infused with the intersectionality of all the other crap. But the, when a woman is raped, there's this idea of like, well, you know, she must've been a slut or (laughs) she must've deserved it or she must've, she must have asked for it yeah, because we have this bias that says, 
well, there, the world must make sense. We can't have the world make no sense. We can't have chaos. We have to, the world has to make sense. Otherwise, I can't sleep at night. I can't live in a world where innocent people just get randomly victimized. I don't like to live mm. in that world. I'd rather live in a world in which I can have some control over things. If I live a virtuous, good life, then I won't be victimized and I won't have cancer and everything will work out because right, right. that's the just world. Well, that's not the way the world works. I think we all understand that, that perfectly innocent people get victimized every effing day and we have to accept that. <laughs> it's not hard to accept. Um, yeah, there's a few other ideas, but I won't get into it. So which of these victims, Birdo, tell me get blamed? So I'm going to give you a number of victims of crime, different kinds of crimes. And you tell me, would these victims, you know, get get uh, blamed? And give me like a percentage of like you, you put 100 people in a room and this victim says, you know, I was blank. What percentage of the crowd would go, eh, it's at least partially, if not fully your fault. Okay, so 100 people in an audience and someone walks up and says, I was carjacked. How many in the audience would go, eh, probably your fault? Very few. So like unless a, they knew unless they knew that where they parked the car. Like yeah. you know, I parked downtown overnight, I got carjacked. And then yeah. you know, Or I had a big sign that said like yeah. come car <laughs> Um All right, next one. Another victim walks up to the crowd, says, I was hit by a drunk driver. Right. I think everyone would be like, That's horrible. You did not deserve that. Right. Another person walks up, says, I had my house broken into. Same, same. They own, they're a house owner. They must be at least in the middle class. And, uh, you know, um, that's unfortunate for you. And you should not have had to deal with that. Okay. Another person says, I was a victim of domestic violence. Well, really? I mean, let's define domestic violence. And, and I mean, you, you seem a little uppity to me already, so... so. <laughs> Uh, I guess that's a case where, unfortunately, it would be a divided... Right. I mean, it depends on, on if there are details provided, but I feel like there there just, might be some people... Just, the, just that. Just that yeah. alone. Another person walks up, says, I was gang-raped at a party while I was drunk. Right, right. right. It's like, there are some people that would... What were you dressed as? Yeah. Why were you it's getting like, wait, drunk? So you were at a party drunk. Why were you hanging out with those boys? Yeah. Uh, yeah, all that stuff. Yeah. So, again, what is wrong with our culture, Birdo? Why are we so stupid? I Every day now, I've been thinking about this one thought. It's like an earworm, if you will, of we all understand that we're smarter than dolphins, and dolphins are smarter than spiders, right? There's a <laughs> spectrum of intelligence, and a thought experiment that people often have. And even there's you know, a spectrum of intelligence among humans themselves. You have people at the high end who can do calculus and hold all sorts of details in their mind and make all these connections, and there are other people who can't. Uh, but everyone can generally drive a car or you know, do simple math. So anyway, point is, is like aliens come down from the sky, and they are 10 times smarter than we are. We are to them what dolphins are to us. What can they do? You know, can we imagine what they can do? And one of the things that pops into my head is they don't do stuff like this. 
as a as a group they do not have these cultural notions that are so obviously false and so obviously problematic and so obviously distorted and so obviously uh, tied to hundreds of years of a cultural notion of misogyny and sexism that they very quickly as individuals and as a group go nah that's hmm. dumb but we we are smart enough to know that we are doing these things to ourselves but stupid enough to not be able to change it as a group yeah so anyway uh, it's just it it you know another example is like climate change like smart smarter aliens would come down and be like so all of your scientists agree that x y and z and most people agree that the scientists are right but no one's doing anything about it and your government isn't doing and when it comes time to actually make a sacrifice like taxes or losing out on an industry a little bit you never actually you never actually make the leap you just yeah. stay in your in your filth and your pollution and just watch netflix as if nothing is happening like you're dumb you know and but we know it is the thing. <laughs> anyway, so another part of victim blaming here, Berto, is over-empathizing with the perpetrators. So let me give you an example. Uh, so this is in relation to the case in the documentary. So CNN's Poppy Harlow. Do you know Poppy Harlow on CNN? Anyway. Mm, I mean, the, the name sounds familiar. One of the people on CNN. We're talking about the case in Steubenville, Ohio. Stated that, quote, it was incredibly difficult, even for an outsider like me, to watch what happened as these two young men that had such promising futures, star football players, very good students, literally watched as they believed their lives were falling apart. When that sentence came down, Malik collapsed in the arms of his attorney. He said to his attorney, my life is over. No one is going to want me now, end quote. So this is a common news element, which is the empathizing with the perpetrators of rape. This, oh, you know, to quote this Poppy Harlow, such promising futures, star football players, very good students. I watched as their lives fell apart when the sentencing came down. Instead of, uh, these guys premeditated a horrific crime on another human being and were put in juvenile for like a year or two. And by the way, uh, Trent Hayes or Mays or whatever the, 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 the ringleader of this whole thing is currently in college and he's like a starting quarterback on some team. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> so his life has not fallen apart, which is yeah. another part of the patriarchy. It's like, why would anyone want him to be a part of a team, you know? But then you think, well, you know, he served his time. Maybe he's re rehabilitated. Who knows? All right. So just I mean, I, 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 I do feel, um, I think I've talked about this before, that I do feel empathy nowadays in my latter years, um, even for some, most, but not all types of criminals uh, in the sense that I feel empathy because 
because you know you wonder what happened and then you know they have families and maybe they were abused in those families or maybe they were bullied in those families. who knows but it's just like the whole thing makes me sad however um, you really shouldn't privilege that over the bigger story which is what happened to the victim <laughs> exactly exactly yeah I couldn't agree more um, all right so another idea just rattling through because of time is sexual objectification in general that women's bodies are objects for men for men to use and this influences some people to rape women it's in song lyrics it's on you know advertisements it's all over the place it ha- it's this idea of that Women are there, they're, they're just things, and their bodies are just things that you can use for your own enjoyment or your own entertainment or something. So this also contributes to rape culture. Yeah, also, so uh, when, when I was, sorry, when I was in, in high school, I remember explicitly having a conversation with a male friend of mine where we were theorizing, and, you know, and this is a horrible thought, but this at the time seemed reasonable to us. We were like, you know, wouldn't it be great if we could like, wave a magic wand and then any woman you pointed to had to have sex with you <laughs> like we literally said that and you know in our minds it's because we were horny teenagers and we were not having sex and so we were like well that would be great because then i could get what i want but at no point in my mind or in their mind did, did we go wait that's a horrible like what yeah, if which, you're the woman yeah like what if you're the woman and <laughs> exactly. someone points at you and you're like now I have to have sex with whoever pointed at me. Yeah. But Berto, you're not an object. You're a man. Yeah. Um, another aspect in our culture is some pornography. Uh, some might say a majority, some might say a minority, but at least we know that some pornography absolutely glorifies or uh, hints at rape and will encourage boys to consider that to be acceptable or to even seek it, that sort of thing. Yeah. And the last idea is something we've been talking about, which is toxic masculinity. So, Berto, what is toxic masculinity? I think it's come to mean that the concept of certain traits or behaviors that are seen as strong and masculine and that bleed over into the behavior at at work or in your private life or with friends or uh, and stuff like that. And it's essentially like what I was saying. We are training to be warriors. So everything is about competition and about killing the other. And uh, and definitely it's a man's game. So what you're describing, I think, is just more general masculinity. But what differentiates positive versus toxic masculinity is that toxic masculinity is harmful. So, so the, the broader... Ask, so just going off of what you said... It is masculine to be to protect your people and to go to war for your people. You know, like if if my wife is, you know, me and my wife are walking down the street and some guy like pushes her down, it's a masculine thing if I stand up to the guy and punch him in the face, right? That's a masculine thing. It's not that women can't do that or people of any gender can't do that as well, but our culture says I would be less of a man if I didn't punch that guy in the face, right? Yes, but I think the the point is that when it bleeds out into everything else and then it becomes the sole filter that you evaluate everything or the main filter. Well, maybe, right? but it 
it, the the definition of toxic masculinity is that it, it har- it's harmful and and this is actually important to, to 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 mention because a lot of people especially men who don't understand who don't take women's studies or study you know feminism when they hear toxic masculinity what they don't understand is that we're talking about harmful masculinity i wish i wish it was just called harmful masculinity as opposed to helpful mass, you can be helpful as a mass. You can be masculine of any gender. You can be of any gender, and be masculine, so to speak, and be helpful, like standing up for your friends or helping people open a jar, <laughs> or uh, you know, carrying a refrigerator for your mom. You know, like when my mom has something heavy that she wants to be carried across the house. My sister doesn't do it. I do it <laughs> because I can, I ascribe to positive masculinity. Now it would be toxic if I pushed my sister down and said, you can't carry it because you're weak. Okay. That's different. Right. But it's positive masculinity or at least neutral. If I offer, or if someone asks me and I jump up and I do it. So anyway, the point is, is that toxic masculinity is just harmful. And in this documentary, we see, or in rape culture, we see these notions of I need to assert my dominance over women. To be masculine is to be in control of women. To be masculine is to take sex by the horns and make it yours. To be masculine, you know, this is toxic masculinity. To be toxic masculine is to not listen to other people, is to drink with your buddies and victimize other people and to assert your manlyhood against other people. Um, ideas like boys will be boys. You know, that's another toxic mess. You know, in that, you remember that commercial? What was that commercial that went viral for a while? Do you remember? It was Which about part? like, it was about toxic masculinity and it was about te- I don't even know what the product was, but it was a long <laughs> doc. It was, maybe it was a Super Bowl commercial. We talked about it on the podcast. There was like, Oh my gosh. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to. Oh, and I, I, I had a problem with that actually. Yeah, I had a problem with that. For example, because there was that one scene where someone's about to go uh, talk to a, a gal that just walked by, and his buddy's like, "No, dude, don't talk to women." And I was like, "F you, <laughs> I can talk to women." And then you're like, "No, because she's just trying to walk on the street." And I'm like, "So what? There's people walking or talking or <laughs> drinking coffee." <laughs> and I, I will, I will die to to my death. I'll take this argument. Well, okay. So the you know the, uh, both are kind of true, or one's really true, one's kind of true. So it is definitely true that for some women, they're just going to the store, and they don't want to be constantly approached by men trying to get laid. They would, they just want to go to the 7-Eleven and get a coffee and walk out without being constantly asked out or, you know, hey, how's it going? Or, hey, you look hot or, you know, these kinds of things. So that's true. We all, we can, uh, we can empathize with that, right? We understand that that would not be a fun way to live and completely unfair to that woman. We also can kind of relate that, you know, sometimes you see a, cute person at the 7-Eleven and you want to, you know, strike, say, Hey, I like your, I like your backpack. It's, it's fun. You know, uh, meet cutes and rom-coms happen all the time. So yes, but everyone who 
especially men who have a hard time wrapping their minds around women's experience should try to wrap their minds around women's experience by before walking up to the woman in the 7-Eleven, ask themselves, hmm, how many times has this woman been a victim of this? <laughs> Am I going to be yet? It's similar to when people ask me or you, Birdo, what are you? You know, people will say uh, they'll see the, the darkness of your skin a little bit or the look of your eyes and they'll be like, what are you? So, right. you know. I don't mind people asking me what my ethnicity is. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm half Japanese and I'm half European American, mm-hmm. uh, half Japanese American, half European American. Fine. You know, I'm proud of it. It's fine. But when you get asked over and over, and particularly when you are in predominantly white communities, it is one, just annoying, you know, like just my name, Kirk Honda. Oh, do you own the Honda? It's like, oh, yeah, thanks. You know? <laughs> um, or, you know, Birdo, you're from Columbia. Oh, cocaine. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah. It, it gets old. And yep. so having empathy, at the very least, that's what that commercial was about. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the notion that boys will be boys, like, ah, men can't help it. But you said this earlier, which is, uh, you couldn't pay me enough money to rape someone. Like it, it doesn't appeal to me. One, two, it's complete. It's a completely against all of my moral fiber to do something like that to someone. Even if I was approaching that right. possibility, I would, I would, I would say you're you're just gonna have to kill me because I can't do that to another human being. It's not gonna happen. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to. It's abhorrent to me, and it, it's, it goes against everything in my body. I, it's, I'm not trying to resist this urge to rape other people, you know. But it's this toxic, toxic masculine idea that people will say, "Well, all men will rape if they wanted to," you know, if they could. Sorry, right. all men would rape someone if they could get away with it. Which is well, like, it's a, it's uh, a similar what? argument. We're all psychopaths, right? It's a similar argument that I've had with. The notion that, um, and you know, many have had this argument. So there's this notion that if we didn't uh, have religion, like if you don't believe in a God, you can't be a moral person or you shouldn't be. Like if you were being intellectually honest, you shouldn't be. And there is this presupposition that um, at nature, by default, essentially, we would all be psychopaths and we would self-destruct within 24 hours. And it's just, you know, demonstrably false because... There are animals in the world, and we are here. <laughs> right, right. <It's> like, <laughs> right, exactly. And it upholds this uh, patriarchy that's like, well, you know, yeah. we, men can't help it. Yeah. Men, it's in their bones. It's just the way that we are. And yeah. that that's one of the reasons why I would argue with you so much about the, uh, even kind of earlier, which is this, you know, what I think it was Kiplinger or something, the, what's it called, the... Anyway, the, the stories we tell ourselves that just justify everything that we are and just so story, that's what it's called, just so stories, which are stories we tell ourselves to justify uh, something that we're trying to justify. And, and one of the stories that we will tell ourselves is that men have always been aggressive. They've always been toxic. That's the way men are. Uh, and, you know, I've been arguing with you on that premise. I don't know. Maybe they always have been, but, well, but, but the data just is not there. There's just literally no data because we only go back a certain ways. And 2,000 years ago, it's not like they had feminists like breaking down like you know gender behavior, that kind of thing. 
But my, my point, maybe it's my evolved point, because I'm sure I have not made this point before, clearly anyways, is that it doesn't matter because you cannot change the upbringing. By the time someone is 17, they've been up brought. <laughs> oh, it's been brought And it's, they've been brought in this culture. And you can argue, we can argue till the cows come home about whence this culture came from, right? But... At the end of the day, the culture is there. And, yeah. and I know that that's your point, right? Well, yeah, yeah, we need to, to work to change the culture. Yeah. My, my point is usually, or at least nowadays, simply, um, it, there are ingrained behaviors. Some of them might be genetic. A lot of them, maybe most of them, are cultural, and they developed over a long time. Uh, there's another aspect to this. You know, I was watching this Netflix uh, nature documentary called Colors or something like this. David Attenborough, very, very awesome, visually, blah, blah. Anytime you watch one of these things and you see the courtship rituals of so many different animals, uh, it is not the unique norm. In other words, there are exceptions. But often, the male has to put on some crazy display of some sort, and the female chooses. Now, why, why does this happen? Well, you know, the, the display is some outward manifestation of genetic quality. And since these creatures don't have any sort of form of communication other than these mechanisms, this is how the female chooses the best genes that might be available to her to procreate. The female chooses. Now, again, this isn't the, the rule on all animals. But it's very common. And the males have to sit there and put on their displays. That's not something that foreign in the human uh, race, right? Because... Uh, culturally throughout history blah blah blah, this is actually fairly common and now it's not only men women have to put on their displays they have to put on their makeup they have to do all these things but this little courtship uh ritual and and dance is is quite complicated it is influenced by culture and it happens to be that most of us in the western world and maybe in the whole world were brought up very male focused very paternalistically and very much with this idea that like you said sex is wrong women should be virgins like there's a lot of religious overtones so that's why i guess i'm not surprised i am saddened but not surprised when we see uh people being you know uh, sexist and people crossing boundaries that said i am still surprised and more than saddened shocked by when people don't have empathy for humans at all, because that part, that, that's like a whole other bridge to cross. Right. Well, and I think it's because of dehumanization and these ideas that are propagated through hatred uh, in our society, but also online. So I want to conclude with just, I mean, this is sort of the penultimate conclusion, but I want to, at the end here, talk a little bit about football teams and perhaps fraternities. I played football a majority of my childhood life and this documentary roll red roll really focuses on the football team aspect of this whole thing which i have to say as a football player myself i didn't like because it equates the football team with the rapists that you know at least two of the gang rapists were on the football team and to me, I'm th- and they had all these shots of the football team. And, and I get it was part of the equation because the community loved this football team and wanted to keep the perpetrators from being punished because the star quarterback was one of the, you know, ringleaders of the gang rape. So I get that there was that angle. But it, well, you tell me, Berto, 
did the documentary seem to at least suggest that football teams are partially to blame for the gang rape or gang rapes or rape culture in our society? I think it's not explicit, but there is an implication that part of toxic masculinity is reinforced by things like football teams. Right. And I, and, and I have to say, like, I don't, I don't think I fully agree. That said, let's not kid ourselves. We sit there and we watch a football game. We want to see these guys kill each other. Right. And they're like, us, you know, go get that guy. And then when they go in that locker room, you know that there's like testosterone and then you know they, they should go get the girl and blah, blah. I don't know. It's just, I feel like there is culturally some association between these hyper-masculine sports or things uh, with, unfortunately, the the rape aspect, or the rape culture aspect, I should say. Well, yeah, and so, and I'll extend this to fraternity, because I was also in a fraternity at the University of Washington, and rapes will occur in a fraternity sometimes, uh, and they will be, that will be the storyline, you know, uh, rape, or frat guy rapes sorority girl, that kind of thing. Yeah. But I would see the different uh, news stories, like a woman was sexually assaulted in the dorms, and mm-hmm. they wouldn't say, dorm guy rapes g- woman. You know, man, boy in dorm rapes <laughs> woman. They wouldn't say that. They Dormer. would just say, like, college kid raped, you know. And, uh, and I think that that's important. Now, I'm not sticking up for football teams or, or frats per se. I, you know, they don't need to be s- stuck up for. They're the privileged, you know, class typically. So I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, poor football teams and poor fraternities. But I think it, overall, one, I'm a little defensive because I do identify as a football player, as captain of my football team. I love, I loved my football team. I loved my coaches. I loved my fellow players. I look back on it quite fondly, and I'm still really good friends with a lot of people I played football with. I learned a lot about myself as a man. I learned a lot about my humans. I learned a lot about how to uh, work as part of a team. I I learned a lot about how to take orders. (laughs) I learned a lot about how to overcome adversity. I learned a lot about that hard work actually helps. I learned how to lose. My team typically lost. We (laughs) we were not a winning team, or at least most of the teams I was on. I had to learn how to take one in the chin, you know, metaphorically, yeah. and, and say, okay, I'm, you know, crap happens sometimes. We got to make lemonade out of lemons. And mm-hmm. we would. And in my fraternity, you know, I, I, some of my best friends are guys that I was in the fraternity with, and we learned a lot. And it's multifaceted, is the thing. And can toxic masculinity be a component of it? Absolutely. But it doesn't have to be. You can have a football team that doesn't promote toxic masculinity. You can have a football team that is right. very explicitly positive masculine and feminine. You can have a feminist fraternity. You can have a feminist football team. It's not the institution that's the problem. It's the fact that it's a manifestation of the overall culture. If you have a culture that is sexist, if you have a culture that is toxic uh, masculine, masculine, and you, you put a bunch of boys to do anything, you could put, make a, put a bunch of boys to... Uh, on a team that like plants trees in the wilderness <laughs> and those guys are going to be toxic masculine because they are from our culture. The fact that a football team is all male and mostly usually, and they just happen to exhibit toxic masculinity has nothing to do with the sport has nothing to do with the organization might have to do with the leadership, but might not. Uh, and fraternity is the same way. It, 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 so 
I, I, and so here's my point that I think everyone might uh, benefit from, which is that when we identify football teams or lacrosse teams or fraternities, we escape the reality that we have an overall culture of toxic masculinity and rape culture in every aspect of our society. It's not just on the football team. It's not just in frats. It's not just on the lacrosse team. It is everywhere. It is in, it's at Microsoft. It is, you know, on the, the volunteer squad that helps people, helps homeless people or helps people, you know, suffering from homelessness. It is in politics. It is in the newsroom. It's at the, you know, at the coffee shop. Toxic masculinity and rape culture are everywhere. It's everywhere. It might be kind of a little concentrated in certain communities, but I think we, we, uh, it's one of those, uh, just worlds, you know, things that we say, oh, well, you know, those football teams. And if I can avoid a fraternity or a football team, then I'm good. No, <laughs> sexism is everywhere. Misogyny is everywhere. The internet has taught us the last four years have taught us that, <laughs> that misogyny and toxic masculinity and, you know, white supremacy and racism is a, is everywhere. And, we have to deal with that, and that sucks. We, we don't want to live in a chaotic world. We don't want to live in an unfair world, but we do. And that's my point. I also kind of want to stick up for football teams because I have a <laughs> lot of fond memories of football. No, look, I, I actually, I, I personally think that sports, even very competitive sports, boxing, or competitive, I mean, violent sports like boxing, uh, I actually think they're great. Because if we can all just fight each other on the court and on the field, instead of fighting each other with guns in reality, we are winning the game of life. So I think it is one of the best developments of civilization was to develop sports. Because it gave an outlet to, for people. Humans clearly, clearly humans like to compete. Clearly humans like some amount of violence and destruction. This is obvious. But... There was an outlet that came in the form of sports. It's like, wow, we can pretend to kill each other. We can pretend to invade each other's countries. I guess. We don't have to do it for real. Yeah, I agree, uh, one. But two, uh, I want to reiterate that the, the love and the dedication and the loyalty and the, the mutual giving and the... Uh, overcoming of adversity of you know that we created for ourselves because it's a sport we could have walked away from it but you know i'm i'm 13 years old and i'm a little snot right and i put on my football pads and it's a cold november afternoon and it's raining mm -hmm. and i go outside and it it's cold and it's it's muddy and there are rocks in the mud and my coach says okay, we're going to do burpees and you're going to jump, you're going to flop on the ground and you're going to jump up. And I didn't want to do it. Right. <laughs> but I did it. I overcame my own ego and said, this is what's going to happen because this is for the team. It's for the team. I am not just an individual, you know, I am of this team and we are going to do this together. And as you do it, there's a euphoria that takes over of like, yes, we are here and we have a mission to be a you know well-oiled uh, uh you know team that executes plays well and works together and doesn't give up hope 
even till the very end. You work hard, you persevere, you help your your teammate. You even ha- or have good sportsmanship when you win or lose or when someone is hurt. You take a knee, even if they're on the other team. You show that humanness exists and it all happens there on the turf. I, I, I totally see that. I, I will say that there's also the individual element because you were saying it's all about the team. But, you know, at a, around nine years old, I, I started taking Taekwondo and it wasn't in some fancy schmancy academy with nice wooden floors. I went to this park where the teacher, he had gotten his degree from from a, a, a Korean um, academy and he was just a Colombian dude and he was awesome. And, he, and then he was teaching in the park because he couldn't afford a place. So he just got a little permit to be able to teach in the public park. That meant we ran barefoot, did push-ups on the concrete. Um, we were, when it was raining, we were just there. There's no like, you know, and same kind of thing. I didn't want to go, man. It's like I could watch, you know, V the final battle on TV. And instead I'm like, oh gosh. And I'm looking at the clouds. You don't understand. Bogota clouds get black. And it's scary looking. I'm like, I don't want to go. And my dad's like, come on, we got to go. And I would go. And you're you're right. You learn something in the mud and you learn something through that adversity. And in my case, because think about it, what am I training for? I'm training a martial art. What is the martial art for? You learn how to hurt people. Is that good? Isn't that toxic masculine? Well, no, I mean like, Real, reality is like you're learning something like art of war. Well, presumably for, but, your teacher said, don't harm other people. Use this only in defense. That's the thing. You're learning for a day that we'll, you hope will never come, actually. But you're technically, on paper, you're learning how to hurt people. And yet, it's great. Again, I will say, bravo, culture. Bravo, uh, development of humanity. You developed ways to fake it, to, to pretend we're going to kill each other. And, and in the process, you learn something about yourself and about others. And actually, there was a team aspect because our little academy would put on exhibitions and we try to do better than the other ones, right? And, we try to, and we'd spar and we'd try to beat them and stuff. So there was that element as well. Totally agree. I think at the same time, because you have those elements of camaraderie and like togetherness and things, uh, where you would have pockets of toxicness, uh, they can spread because they are... It's musty in there, and it can spread. And that's true in any pocket, like the, yeah. the 4chan. Yeah. So before I get emails, I understand that football has its problems, traumatic brain injury to be one, racism to... Uh, I'm, not, I'm not unaware of that. I, I'm, in, I'm in deep in every aspect, uh, pro and con, of American football. So just to conclude here with some examples from website everydayfeminism.com of toxic or of uh, rape culture Uh, and just reading from their website. So one is supporting athletes who are charged with rape and calling their victims career destroyers. For example, so I, I, when I read this one from everydayfeminism.com, it made me think of racism and against Asians. You remember when that, that guy went on a killing spree and killed a bunch of Asian people? Uh, Yeah. And the captain, Jay Baker, a spokesperson for the Cherokee County Sheriff's Office, he said, well, you know, he was the, this is the perpetrator here. He was pretty much fed up and kind of at the end of his rope. Yesterday was a real bad day for him. He had a bad day. And this is what he did. So again, that's a quote. I'm going to say it again. This is a police officer. This isn't just some random pundit. This is 
and the spokesperson. This isn't some random cop that they just shoved a microphone. This is a professional spokesperson for the police department. He says, and he had time to prepare for this. He said a whole, he knows this is an international story. Comes out the podium says, you know, he was pretty much fed up, kind of at the end of his rope. Yesterday was a real bad day for him, and this is what he did. So I'm putting a little inflection on it, of course, but what the f? <laughs> like, uh, so in this, you know, this is dehumanizing Asians, Asian Americans, and humanizing the white guy who perpetrated this horrible act. In the same way that you would humanize the a- the athlete, the famous athlete who committed the crime, and dehumanizing the women victims. Um, another thing they have here is that only 3% of rapists will ever serve a day in jail. This wow. is another part of rape culture. That's crazy. Another is, as you were mentioning, Berto, assuming that women are always false reporting when in reality only about 5% are false reports, according to the everyday feminism. Um, publicly defending celebrities accused of rape just because they're celebrities. Politicians distinguishing legitimate rape and stating that rape is something that God intended to happen. Did, have you heard of politicians saying crap like this? Yeah, I remember. I forget what case it was, but I remember this this craziness of... Um, yeah. Now, not, by the not, way... Not some random person on the street, a, a elected politician talking about legitimate, literally the quote, legitimate rape and quote, something that God intended to happen. Listen, man, I I, I hear you. But it comes with the territory. Like, you know, these books that people follow have some horrible things in them. And people can justify those, those kinds of things. How, so, how, so tell me, there is a because maybe you, maybe you know, but like, how, how does the Bible, for example, justify that? In the sense that um, there are a lot of cases where women are, are not put on the same footing, right? It's like... Um, it's essentially the, the story, it's a man's story. It's a man's story. And, uh, the history of it is, you know, man has wives and, uh, daughters and wives are okay to give away for various purposes. Um, but ultimately it's a man's story from beginning to end. There happens to be one side's best supporting actress role. Um, and she had to be a virgin. (laughs) Right. Uh, another point here, a judge who sentenced only 30 days in jail to a 50-year-old man who raped a 14-year-old girl who later completed suicide and defended that girl who was older than her chronological age, quote-unquote. Another here is pop music that tells women, you know you want it, like in the song Blurred Lines. Oh, right. I forgot about that thing. Yeah. Also... Mothers who blame girls for posting sexy selfies and leading their sons into sin instead of take, talking with their sons about their responsibility for their own sexual expression. Um, the last point about toxic masculinity that I forgot to mention, which is that we, t- we tell young boys that, and I bring this point up a lot, and I can't remember where I got it from, but when I heard it, I was like, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I wish I could remember who I got it from, but I know it's not my idea, that we tell young boys that they can't have their emotions, but the young boys have all the attachment needs of a regular human. So 
as they're growing up and they're, say, they're 16 years old, and they have bubbling up in them tremendous need for vulnerability and love and attachment and emotional expression and listening to other people, being with other people, crying. But we don't let them do any of that stuff. But we do let them do one thing with regards to human interaction, which is sex. So all of their attachment needs, attachment needs for friendship, attachment needs for vulnerability, attachment needs for family, are all poured in to this one behavior of sex with, you know, a woman, a girl. That will probably ramp up the desperation and the focus and the obsession and the perhaps overriding of one's morals to enact your needs, right? Yep. So this is another part of rape culture, which is that we are socializing boys to have no other way to express themselves. Now, that doesn't justify a crime, but it does explain the the desperation. You know, like for you, Berto, when you were in high school and you're talking about if I had a magic wand, I wonder if you had the full range of ability to get a lot of your attachment needs met if you weren't, if you wouldn't be so focused on, you'd be a little focused, but I wonder if you wouldn't have been as focused. No, no, absolutely. Like, well, look, it took me so many years of my life to get to a point where I could admire a woman's beauty and yet not be totally consumed mentally by that. And you, you know what I'm saying? Like, look, and maybe obviously as a teenager, you have a lot of hormones as well, but but there was something that was never explained to me or in any way was I given any tools to deal with the following. Uh, at a certain age, I started realizing that if I saw a certain kind of woman, girl, whatever, that was attractive to me, I would kind of lose my mind. Like my mind would kind of be silly. And this was never explained. In fact, the only thing you ever saw about this was in TV and movies that, yeah, that's what happens. But then... The, the next step isn't, oh, okay, techniques for like actually regaining control. The next step is becoming a, an idiot male, right? And not necessarily raping, but just like all those things. And so in my mind, as a, as a teenager, um, there wasn't any conversation mentally that I was having about how to process those feelings, how to be comfortable that I'm having those strong emotions. Then, as I grow older and I am now in the world, and I'm drinking too much at places, then those things are getting in the way. I'm like, yeah, I have blurred lines because I have these strong feelings about sexuality and stuff, and I don't know what to do with it. And it took me so long to get to the point where I could be like, that person is really attractive. I I am attracted to that person, and yet not have it consume my mind. Uh, and it's 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 incredible. It's these are these are tools that are absolutely missing from the teenager. Well, how how did you do that? Well, I mean, it was years of A, therapy, years of learning, oh, boundaries, right, boundaries. Years of like, wait, wait, is this the best use of my mental bandwidth? Um, and just, you know, getting older and getting wisdom. Um, I would say that that there was a point, I remember a point at which I saw this gal and I'm like, oh my gosh, she's so pretty. Oh my gosh, she's so pretty. And I was like, why are you obsessing about this? Like you're not going to do anything about this right now. So like, why are you just calm down? Like, yes, very attractive. <laughs> just calm down. And I remember I had that conversation with myself and I was like, Oh yeah, good point. Good point. Other me. 
<laughs> well, here's to our culture getting older and getting more wiser, just like Birdo. And everyone out there, please take care of yourself because you deserve it.